Amen. All right. Well, uh, welcome, guys. Let's go ahead and jump in. We had a lot of announcements tonight. Um, so let's go uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there or turn it on. Uh, we've been in our this discipline series, um, kind of wrestling with this question of like, hey, it's not a question of if we're going two weeks ago to, uh, to read things on the internet, things in textbooks, things online that are going to shape and form us. And last week we looked at, hey, it's not a question of if we're going to relate to people in a, in a setting of relationship. And we talked about who we actually relate to as our lead pastor, Matt, helped us unpack that we actually relate to God through prayer and fasting. We, we dialogue with God in prayer and then uh, we actually submit our, our desires and our hopes and our dreams in a lot of ways and find our ultimate satisfaction in God. And we use the discipline of fasting to do so. And tonight what I want to do is I want to turn... Uh, to Exodus chapter 20 to wrestle with the question of salt company, it is not a question of if you will feel exhausted. It is not a question of if you will feel burned out. It is not a question of if you will feel run down and tired and feel like you need a nap every day for the rest of your life. In a lot of ways, it's a question of when you feel tired, when you feel exhausted, when you feel burned out. What are you going to do about that when it happens? And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to turn to the aspect of rest and this discipline of Sabbath. And before we jump into that, what I want to do is just a very simple 10-question uh, self-assessment to kind of have a, a little bit of a moment of sobriety in the room. Um, I think we can come in with a little bit of, of arrogance and maybe a little bit of just kind of unawareness of the fact that we're actually living a life of hurry. We're actually living a life of, of restlessness, a life of a, a speed that is not sustainable for the grace of God. And so a little 10-question self-assessment. I'd love for you to keep track of your score, just like, hey, if, as, as I read these different descriptions, if you would, if you would say, hey, yes, I, I identify with that, or I've identified with that at some point, maybe on the top of your journal page, just put a tick mark, or maybe on your phone, just write a yes or a no. And as we roll through here, you're going to have a scale. Uh, we're going to be grading yourself on a scale of 0 to 10. You're not going to share it with anybody unless you want to. So if you identify yes with one of these explanations, just go ahead and put a tick mark. And if not, just leave it blank. So here's the first one. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. Little normal things irk you. People have to tiptoe around your ongoing low-grade negativity, if not even anger. As you look at those that you treat closest to, your friends, significant others, and roommates, they would say you have a high level of irritability. That's number one. Number two, all it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, right? A grumpy text sets you off. A little turn of events throw you into an emotional funk and ruin your day. Minor things quickly escalate into major emotional events. Depending on your personality, this may show up as anger, nitpickiness, anxiety, or depression, or just exhaustion. The ordinary problems of life have a disproportionate effect on your emotional well-being and relational grace. You just can't seem to roll with the punches, resulting in that you're a person who has hypersensitivity. Number three, when you actually do try and slow down and rest, you cannot relax. You give Sabbath a try and you hate it. You read scripture but find it boring. You have a quiet time with God, but you cannot focus your mind. You go to bed early but toss and turn with anxiety. 
You watch TV, but simultaneously check your phone, fold laundry, scroll on Instagram. Your body and mind are hyped up on the drug of speed, and when they don't get the next dopamine fix, you shiver. Restlessness. Number four, workaholism. You don't just know when to stop. You can't stop. Another hour, another day, another week, your drugs of choice are accomplishment and accumulation. These show up as, as throwing yourself into academics and clubs, obsessive house cleaning and errand running, and by day's end, you have nothing left in your emotional bank to give your friends, significant others, or roommates. Workaholism, or just nonstop activity. Number five, you don't have the capacity to feel others' pain. You can't even feel your own pain, for that matter. Empathy is a rare feeling for you. You don't have the time, energy for it. You live in this kind of constant fog. You have an emotional numbness. You're just kind of disconnected, separated from the people that are closest to you. Number six, you feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. Your life is reactive, not proactive. You're busier than ever before, yet still feel like you don't have time for what really matters. Weeks and often months go by until you realize that you still haven't gotten around to the things you said were most important in your life. You have out-of-order priorities. Number seven, you don't have time for the basic eight hours of sleep a night, daily exercise, home-cooked foods, minimal stimulants, and margin. You gain weight, get sick multiple times a year, wake up tired, don't sleep well, and live off of caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and pre-workout. So you have a lack of care for your body. You're not taking care of the physical temple that God's given you to steward. Three more. When you're too tired to do what life it was actually life-giving for your soul, you turn to the distractions of choice. Overeating, over-drinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. You find yourself stuck in a negative feedback loop of socially acceptable addictions. Escapist behaviors. I'm going to suppress what I don't really want to address. Number nine, when you get over busy, the things of life that are truly giving for your, life-giving for your soul go first rather than become your go-to. Your quiet time in the morning, your time in scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sundays, meals with your friends, and so on. You get so over busy, so overtired that when you actually have time to spend with other people, you cannot stay focused. So instead of a life with God, you settle for a life with a Netflix subscription and suppress your emotions. Lastly, isolation. You feel disconnected from God and others and even your own soul. And on those rare, precious moments when you actually do stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean just throwing up a Hail Mary to God asking for stuff, I mean sitting with God in quiet and sitting in his presence, you are so stressed and so distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy your Heavenly Father's company. Same with your friends. When you're with them, you're actually on your phone a million miles away in la-la land. Running down the to-do list. And when you come face to face with the void that's actually in your soul, you run back to the familiar busyness and digital distraction. So how'd you score? On a scale of, of zero to ten. Two, three, six, eight. When I took this 
little self-assessment a couple months ago, your salt director was a 10 out of 10, baby. And what I don't mean with doing this is to inflict any shame or guilt. That, that's not my goal in doing this self-assessment with you guys. That's, that is not what I'm here to do. The point that I'm driving at is can we just have a moment of, of biblical and cultural sobriety to realize that, hey, friends, something is not right in our lives. If this is what is describing us as Christians, we are no better off than the world that we're claiming to reach with the good news of Jesus. This is not what Jesus came to earth. He came to free us from these things. And if this is what's defining us, there has to be something that's wrong. So if you even scored a 1 out of 10, then tonight is for you, and it's 100% for me. So what is a Sabbath? That's what we're talking about. Very simply, we're not going to put the cookies high on the shelf. It's a day of rest to the Lord. The Sabbath is a day of rest to the Lord. The Hebrew word Shabbat literally means to stop or to rest. And friends, we literally get one day a week to be people of God who actually get to cultivate an inner life with Jesus. As apprentices of him, we get to sit at the feet of the master himself. And if you do the math on that, that's seven weeks every single year where we, we cease from work and we just seek the face of Jesus. So what I want to do tonight is I want to unpack three aspects of Sabbath. Number one, why it is important. Number two, how we get it wrong, because we absolutely do. And number three, I want to talk about very practically, how do we actually do it so that you could start this weekend, okay? Exodus chapter 20, I hope you're already there. Let's dive in. Verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20, this is Moses. God has given him the Ten Commandments. These are the ten things that reveal God's heart for his people, and this is one of them. Verse 8, here it is. Remember, hold on to that word, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your female servant or your, or your male servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first thing we see about why it's important, as we look at Exodus chapter 20, these, these, just these couple of verses, we're going to be in this for a while, is that it's a joyful, freeing, life-giving command. And yes, it is a command. That's not the route that I want to take tonight, but it would be foolish to, to not look at the fact that it is a Ten Commandment that the Lord has given us to, to observe. So God has given Moses these commands, and all these other commandments than Ten Commandments Take up like one, maybe two verses, depending on which one you're looking at. But the Sabbath takes up four. And I think that that should be alarm bells, right? As you're, as you're reading your Bible, if it takes up four verses, God deeply cares about it. There's, there's something that God wants us to grab onto if there's four verses of the Ten Commandments that are taken up. And friends, it's meant to be a weekly rhythm in our lives that helps us to actually like cultivate a life with Jesus. Where we go against the grain of the culture. Verse 8 says to remember Right? Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it. It's set apart for the Lord our God. We're, we're, God has given it to us to be reminded of our heavenly dwelling with him if you're in Christ. And to delight in the gifts in which he's given us. And guys, this goes against the fabric of the American society that we live in. This, this cuts completely against the grain of a culture that says, actually, uh, you are what you produce. You are what you do. You are what your job says you are. In comparison to, to God actually giving you the identity that you're a son or daughter of the king. And there's nothing that's going to take that away from you. You have nothing to prove. Jesus proved it on the cross for you. 
And the second thing that we see in this text is that this aspect of Sabbath and kind of this work-rest rhythm is actually hardwired into the fabric of creation. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, look at this here. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So Moses is kind of going back to Genesis 1, which we're actually going to look at in just a couple seconds. So he's, he's kind of calling back to the creation story, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice he, God rested. So there's a, there's a ceasing of work. It probably took God a lot of energy to make the entire world, and then he rested on the seventh day. The second thing there is that he blessed it. So it's a day to be celebrated, to be delighted in, and lastly, he made it holy. In layman's terms, he set it apart. It's different than the other six. It's meant to look different. It's meant to feel different. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 through chapter 2, verse 3 says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So he had just created Adam and Eve, the very good creation. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Salt Company, God worked hard creating the universe. God has all the important things in the world that he could be doing. He could be doing so many different things, and yet on the seventh day, he rested. But Zach, bro, you do not understand all the things that I have to do, like the canvas notifications that are flying in, the people that I have to respond to text messages to. I can't, I can't really take a day off. On the seventh day, God rested. But no, 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 you don't understand. Like the, the, the assignments are flying in. I got these phone calls I need to make. I'm trying to apply for grad school. The internships are just, they're coming in. I don't know if I'm actually going to get. On the seventh day, God rested. Zach, but seriously, like I cannot take a day off. I'm in 18 credit hours. I'm, in, I'm a vice president of, of, of what's and what's organization. I got these different things. I'm a C group leader. I have a lot of people I need to disciple. On the seventh day, God rested. Zach, I can't take a day off. I have too much to do. How about this? We'll, let's just, can we just reason together? My couple days off, my hours off will just be Sunday morning at church because I remember my pastor told me growing up, the devil doesn't take a day off. Friends, who cares if the devil doesn't take a day off? Last time I checked, he doesn't win in the end. On the seventh day, God rested. It's hardwired. Factory set. In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, get this, were made on the sixth day. So their very first day of existence was a day of rest. We are made to be people who live out of rest and not for rest. That's the order of creation. And for some reason, we, we've got it completely backwards in our culture. Right? Like the culture is saying, okay, here we go. I'm going to work really hard for three months and then the one-week vacation I'm going to get when I go to Florida and get away, that's going to solve all my problems. But you still got to come back to work. So the rhythm of the world is work for a couple months, one-week vacation, that's going to solve everything. But God actually has condensed it a lot more. This work, rest, work, Sabbath rhythm, rhythm excuse me, six days, one day, six days, one day. We weren't meant to live at the pace that we live at. 
And lastly, friends, it's, it's an invitation to true rest and true fellowship with Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11. It's going to be up on the screen if you don't want to flip. Verses 28 to 29, or 28 to 30. Guys, these are some of the best verses in the whole entire Bible. Check this out. Come to me. This is Jesus. All who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Check this out. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, this is a window into the heart of your Savior for you as a sinner. He says, come to me. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come to him, to experience rest. He literally says, I will give you rest. It's a guarantee. It's not a question of if God will give you rest if you come to Jesus and you're in him by faith. It's a promise. But so often, we read right past those first three words. Come to me. you got to come to Jesus. God's is an invitation into fellowship and communion with the God of the universe. And for those of you who are in Christ, when we place our faith in Jesus, friends, we exchange our exhaustion for his rest. We exchange our sin for his grace. That we don't have to prove anything to God. He's the, he's the manufacturer, and he's also the one who places the label on us as son and daughter of the king. We don't, we don't bring anything to the table but our sins, and we exchange our exhaustion for rest because Jesus' completed, perfect work on the cross is actually the pathway to which we don't have to continue to run on this treadmill of life of trying to prove ourselves, make us feel worthy. All of our accolades, guys, God's not impressed with your GPA. God's not impressed with how early you got up this morning. God's not impressed with your social network. God wants your heart. He wants you to walk intimately with him. He wants you to know him as a friend, as a prince of peace, mighty counselor, holy one. And we just have to come to him. It's a guarantee. There's no strings attached. See, before Christ, a lot of us live in this relentless pursuit of different things versus a restfulness. Here's some comparisons and contrasts. So before Christ, man, we're on this right side. Busyness, hurry, noise, isolation, crowds, distraction, envy, confusion. I don't know about you, but I've, I've lived in these spaces before. Not fun. That's before Christ, before we actually can come to him and gain rest. But on the restfulness side, this is where it gets so good. When, you, when you're walking intimately with Jesus, you have margin in your life to actually minister to people that are around you and be present with one another. You ever sat with somebody at a coffee shop for a one-on-one where you spent time with somebody and they're just, they're looking right in your eyes, not in a weird way, but they're just like, you're the only person in the room because that person has been walking so intimately with Jesus, they have margin in their life that they're not worried about all the other stuff that's going on in their mind. They have margin in their life, their slowness, Guys, Jesus was probably, he wasn't like awkwardly probably slow, but the disciples were probably like, dude, come on, we got stuff to do, right? But Jesus was probably slowly being with people, spending time with other people, deep relationships, time alone. You're actually able to like delight in being with people, delight in food. Food's not just fuel, fuel, food, holy cow. Food is fellowship. You're able to enjoy things with people, man. When, When one of your brothers or sisters like, 
get some cool accolade or something, instead of pushing into envy and you're like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I was that cool. It's like, why can we not just enjoy that and celebrate it with that person? And then clarity over confusion because we're actually spending time in God's word. We know we're, we're listening to the voice of God in our lives. Here's another slide, just one more. Again, relentlessness, trying to pursue things. Man, we got greed, discontentment, worry, anger, melancholy, anxiety, working for love, working as a comp. You get the idea. Versus, man, gratitude, contentment in Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I want this left side of this slide to be what defines me. This is what Scripture says. This is the fruit of the Spirit in many ways. That we're working from love, not for love. That work is contribution, not accomplishment. And friends, Jesus' desire is to move us from the right side to the left. That's what he came to earth to do, and a Sabbath is very much a way in which we we're able to cultivate a space rhythmically, weekly in our lives to make that transition. St. Augustine said it this way, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. God, this is so good. And our heart is restless, restless, until it finds its rest in you. Non-Christians in the room, I know there's some in here. Aren't you sick and tired of the treadmill of life? Trying to form your own identity, find your own worth, find your own satisfaction. Isn't it exhausting? Like, friends, I've been there. Your soul will be restless, I can promise you, in college and out, until it finds its rest in Jesus. Guys, we're reminded of our identity as a son or daughter, that we aren't what we produce. Sabbath is not a means of salvation. Let's be very clear. It's not a means of salvation, but it absolutely is a gift given to those who have tasted salvation to the ultimate work of Jesus. But number two, how about this? What do we get wrong, though? What do we get wrong? Because there's a lot of things that we do get wrong about Sabbath. There's a, a, lot of, a lot of ways in which we can incorrectly look at this. Some of you guys, unfortunately, may come from church backgrounds where it's like you can't walk, um, you can't like rip toilet paper, you can't like prepare food or anything on the Sabbath day, right? Um, so what do we get wrong? Let's look at Mark chapter 2, uh, verses 23 to 28. This will be up on the screens as well. Um, let me flip there, though. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He always seems to be having run-ins with the Pharisees. And um, they're kind of cherry-picking him on a Sabbath day. He's walking with the disciples. And this is what the Scripture records in Mark chapter 2. It says, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, Get this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So one of the ways we get it wrong is when we don't receive Sabbath as a gift. Verses 27 and 28, Jesus very clearly lays out that the Sabbath is a gift for man. 
not the other way around. It's a gift to be received and delighted in by the receiver of the gift. It's almost as if God is saying in a lot of ways, hey, you're God, or I'm sorry, I'm God and you're not. You have limits and a capacity and I don't. And Sabbath, in a really beautiful, kind of burden-lifting way, invites us as followers of Jesus to realize that we have limits. Realize that you can't do everything that you want to. So often we think that the hero of our lives is us, when in reality the hero of our lives is really Jesus for those who are in Christ. So when we don't receive it as a gift, that's one way that we get it wrong. Another way we get it wrong is when we lose the biblical perspective. So again in verses 27 and 28, the Pharisees had lost this perspective. They were, they were caught up in the aspect of it being a legalistic rule, right, to be kept over people. And it's, they literally ruined the gift in making it legalistic. It's kind of frustrating. Because it, the reality is, is it separates us from being a human being versus a human doing. So often we live in the human doing when in reality we're actually a human being created in the image of God. You are not what you produce. If you remember the self-assessment quiz at the beginning, that doesn't have to be true of us. We can be people who are separated from these things of the world. We can be people who are a new creation created in Christ. In many ways, Sabbath is like tithing your time and energy to God. We talk about tithing our money. We say, God, you'll take the 10%. You're Lord of my life. And I'm going to trust and have a dependence upon you that you're going to do with the remaining 90% of what I've made, what I thought I needed was 100%. I'm going to trust that you can do with the 90. In a very similar way, seven days in the week, we give God one day, a Sabbath rest under the Lord. We're not producing, we're not working, we're not doing all these things. We're saying, Lord Jesus, I trust, I'm of a dependence upon you that with the remaining six days of my week, you will get done what I thought I needed in order to get done in seven. That trust and dependence is a reminder of the ultimate trust and dependence that we have to have on Jesus daily as gospel transformation happens in our lives. And lastly, this is where we'll land the practicality of, man, how are we actually going to do this? Like These are all great concepts, Zach. We love the Bible. This is fantastic. But how do we actually observe a Sabbath day? What does it look like? How about this? Number one, let's just stop. Number one, let's just stop. Pause for, for 24 hours. Pause for 24 hours amidst the demands of the other 144 hours. Just don't work. Make it a non-negotiable. Your best yes on your Sabbath day will actually probably be a no. Protect it. Be okay with saying no. Make it set apart from the other days of the week. Take a step back from homework, grocery shopping, laundry, cleaning, running errands. Ask off that day for work. If you'd be so bold, shut off your phone. No text messages, no emails, no social media. Learn to let go of the illusion that the world needs you to keep running. Just stop. Cease from work. You are not what you produce. Slow down to the pace of grace and sit at the feet of your Savior. Number two is rest. So God rested after his work of creation in Genesis 2. And likewise, so should we. Whatever is restful for you to do, do it. It's not that hard. Whatever is restful to do, do it. Sleep in, take a nap, read a book, eat good food, watch a movie, go for a long hike, you fill in the blank. 
Whatever is restful for you to do, do that thing. Rest would be engaging your heart, mind, and body in a way that reinvigorates you in a God-honoring way. Whatever that is, do it. Number three is delight. Again, when God finished his work of creation, he announced that it was good and that humanity was very good. He kind of celebrates, in a way, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And here, God invites us to join in with him in celebration and delight and enjoy the good gifts that he's given us. But ultimately, this pursuit of delight is to enjoy him, to delight in him. So again, eat good food, play games, spend time with life-giving friends and family. It could look, look like reflecting back on your week and writing down the ways that God has been good and also the ways that life's been hard. Reflecting on the character of God and what he's taught you about himself, yourself, and others. And then lastly is contemplate. Again, the goal of Sabbath is not, we're not merely just taking some time off. We're not just taking a day off to be lazy, nor is it an excuse to be lazy. I think that every single one of you in this room, I think that Christians should be the hardest working students at Mizzou. Like God has, God has gifted you the, the, the path to a degree. He's given you the financial means. He's given you the, the space to be able to do that, and that's something to be stewarded. So the Sabbath is not an excuse to be lazy. So it's not merely just taking some time off, but as we contemplate, we deeply commune with God and ponder and experience his unconditional love for us. We draw closer to the God of the universe and in many ways, this could look like having an extended time in the Word, Bible study, prayer, listening to worship music, going on a hike, doing a prayer walk, a journal about an attribute of God. Ultimately, you get to realign yourself to the one who knows you and loves you. So here's your next steps of participation. Very simply, pick a day, make a list, and practice. Pick a day, make a list, and practice. So pick a day. What's your, what's your day going to be where you Sabbath? 24 hours where you can zone in and meet with Jesus. What's your day going to be? For me, it's Saturday. For you, it's probably also going to be Saturday because a lot of you guys are students. It may be Friday. It may be Sunday. It doesn't matter. It can be in the middle of the week. So pick a day. And until you pick a day, you probably won't actually have a Sabbath. Number two is make a list. Make a list of things that are life-giving and restful for you. Make a list of ways that you want to intentionally seek the Lord. Make a list of, of people that you want to hang out with that are life-giving for you that you can share in this Sabbath discipline with. And lastly is practice. And I chose that word on purpose because we practice Sabbath. The first couple of times I Sabbathed, I was so worried about if I was doing it right or if it was actually going to be restful. I actually came out of it less rested than I thought I was going in. Practice. Every week, you get 52 chances every year. Practice it. Invite in friends, roommates, your community group members together into it. Community group leaders, imagine this with me. Your entire community group honors the Sabbath on the same day, and you end the Sabbath out at a restaurant somewhere talking about what you individually learned about Jesus throughout the course of the day. Can you imagine the conversation around that dinner table? People who are living out of rest for Jesus going into another challenging week filled up with the grace of the Lord, reminded of the good news of the gospel. Imagine that. 
So friends, Jesus is inviting us into a beautiful rhythm weekly to better know, love, and obey him as Lord and Savior. Sabbath, again, is, is not a crippling rule. It's not a legalistic formula. It's not something to observe as a checkbox. It's a chance to let the fog clear, to let the noise die down, the notifications silence, and the demands on your heart, mind, and body be lessened in order to earnestly and joyfully seek the Lord Jesus and allow your life to not be formed by the voices of the world, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but be formed by the good shepherd who came that we would have life abundantly. So friends, it's, it's really not a question of if you're going to be exhausted. Many of us in this room are right now. It's not a question of if you're going to be burned out or tired. It's a question of when. And you do not, at least how I read scripture, you do not have to live life irritated, overworked, emotionally numb, with spiritual discipline slipping away, in isolation, restlessness, and exhaustion. For many of you in the room tonight, the next step is learning to practice Sabbath delight, which is really what it is, is you yoke up with your Savior. 52 days a year, and learn from him as the master and you the apprentice, and you sit at his feet, walk in the pace of grace, and experience true joy, true peace, true fellowship, and true rest, that only followers of Jesus can have in a restless world. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the gift of Sabbath. I thank you for the gift of limits, that, Lord, we are not what we produce, that, Lord, we can work hard, because the ultimate work was finished when you said it was finished on the cross. And Lord, I pray for the students in this room and a culture that's demanding so much of them, a culture that's demanding so much of me, that we would be people who run against the cultural grain, that we would run in the grain of Scripture, that there would be Sabbath days for the rest of the semester where students are delighting in you, they're encountering you in deeper ways, they're understanding the, the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus just a little bit more. Where the anxieties and the, and the, and the stresses and the demands, they, just, they pale in comparison to the beauty and the majesty and the glory of you. So Father, I pray this isn't just intellectual head knowledge. Pray this is heart transformation. God, would the gospel get into our hearts? Would it shape and form how we spend our time, how we spend our weeks, how we schedule our lives? Lord Jesus, form us as we come unto you and yoke up with you. The gentle and lowly shepherd, form us into people who live out of rest and not for rest, with nothing to prove, because you've called us son and daughter. In Jesus' name, amen.